Welcome to BioTalk. My name is Jeff Meyerson, CEO and co-founder at Locust Walk, and you're listening to BioTalk, our podcast for biotech dealmakers. Today, I get to sit down with Sufian Abouda, co-founder and chairman of the board of Nucleate. Nucleate is a global nonprofit organization that empowers future biotech leaders through education and promotes innovation by facilitating the formation of life science companies, solving problems in human and planetary health. Outside of Nucleate, Sufian is a PhD candidate in the Church Lab at Harvard Medical School. In the lab, Sufian co-leads the SomaCode project using pooled in vivo functional genomics to understand the genetic signals that confer tissue specificity with the goal of controlling cell homing to targets of interest such as solid tumors. Sufian has also been the president for the GSAS Harvard Biotech Club, a venture fellow at RA Capital Management as well. Outside of work, Sufian is a passionate basketball player of limited talent, so he says, an avid cook, hopefully a better talent, and roasts his own coffee at home, which sounds like something I would love to try at some point. Maybe we'll have to work that out. Welcome to Biotech, Sufian. Great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Hope uh, we'll dig into an exciting dis- discussion. Absolutely. Excellent. Let's 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 get going. So to kick things off, I would really love for you to provide the audience with some background as to what led you to the initial exploration of early stage biotech. Absolutely. Uh, while I'd say it's a little bit more recent, I think the signs uh, were evident from the very beginning, from my very first research experience at UC Santa Cruz in the lab of Phil Cruz discovering novel compounds uh, from marine sponges and being more interested with what uh, Gilead and Genentech were then going to be doing with the compounds after we sent it to them versus the discovery and characterization we were doing ourselves. And then later at UCSF, uh, sponsored research from Moderna, understanding how mRNAs were effectively translated. So I knew from there that I was interested in the biotech side of things. Um, And then uh, serendipitously had the opportunity to uh, run into and then meet George Church during my interview weekend at Harvard, where he uh, told me that I should come do a rotation in his lab. And from that point on, got the startup bug very, very early, early on. In fact, my first lab meeting ever wasn't a lab meeting at all. It was um, a practice pitch that one of the postdocs was giving prior to going out and speaking with investors. I had never seen that before in my life. So I went up to John Scheinman, who's now CEO of FitBiomics, went up to George, who took the time to sit down with me, talk to me about the culture of entrepreneurship, the culture of innovation in the lab, the strategies that the lab employs to kind of push research forward. Um, and then from there on, got to see other brilliant individuals like Gary Kelsick. Uh, and I realized that I knew very little about the world of science outside of academia and uh, stumbled across the Harvard Biotech Club, where I really had the opportunity to learn about biotech for the first time. Um, one of the first meetings that I that I sought out was uh, with Peter Kolchinsky, um, who I looked at as someone who I wanted to be like one day. Uh, and from that point on, um, kind of the ball really started rolling. Wow. So. Those are some great touch points with some interesting folks. So I, I guess one of the questions I, I have, and this is, we'll get to Nucleate in a second, but historically biotech CEOs are much older folks without getting you know more specific than that with lots of experience. And unlike tech where you have, where the startup CEOs are much younger, almost by default, how do you think about what you just shared about your interest in biotech and wanting to be a CEO, seeing some of these folks 
get to that level early on in their careers when that has not been the standard MO, and it's still not the standard MO for most biotech. So how do you think about that? Diving right into the juicy parts. Um, no, it's a great question. It, it's one that we get asked all of the time. And I'd take a step back and say that, you know, we don't frame it in, in that way, really. We think about we're passionate, curious learners. We want to have a meaningful role within biotech. And so what does that look like for you as an individual? What are your specific skills? Where are you particularly talented? And from that point on, certainly some of them fit that phenotype of, of a potential CEO. For others, it might be more VC, others business development, others continued research. Some individuals come out of that entire process realizing that they want to continue with academia. And so for those that do want to pursue that that CEO executive path, um, we try to teach them the fundamentals of company creation. We try to teach them the importance of surrounding themselves with the right individuals. Uh, and from that point on, uh, just try to provide them with the opportunities, knowing that it's going to be a massive challenge um, and knowing that that kind of work requires a tremendous amount of experience. Yeah. So maybe I'll just then pivot to, to Nucleate because I imagine that's part of your, your offering, which I want to better understand for those who are not familiar. So maybe it's worth just give the founding story behind Nucleate, what you're trying to solve, how did it come about, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. And I think I touched on a couple of those points already. One um, with the Church Lab being a major inspiration for entrepreneurship realizing then that not everyone had those resources or access to that environment. Uh, speaking a little bit more broadly, the VIS as an institute that has a primary goal of commercializing its, its science uh, is also quite unique. And so when I was with the Harvard Biotech Club um, and after that conversation with, with Peter, where I really sought to understand the founding principles of the organization, which has now been around for 25 years, to think about why was it started? How does it serve its purpose? Purpose. What still holds true 25 years later? And what has grown differently over that time? And so how do I today, as the president of the Harvard Biotech Club, effectively serve my community? And during that process, talked with a lot of people, um, realized a few things. And out of those, we built out a series of programs all around that hands-on training uh, focus, uh, and one of them being Nuclei, what was then called Activate, really to serve two key purposes. The first was to uh, bridge gaps in the community, not only within academia, we saw very little collaboration between the medical school and the business school across the universities, and obviously between academia and industry. Um, and the second was to serve these brilliant scientists who had uh, more to give to society, felt that their body of work had some promise in the form of a potential company. So we wanted to build a program that was a risk-free mechanism for them to explore the viability of their academic science in the form of a potential company without taking equity, without charging fees. In a great business model. You can help people and there's no cost to them. So then how do you support yourself as an organization? Yep, um, fantastic question. And so um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, quite simply put, um, we do the good work on behalf of humanity and the life science industry. And uh, in turn for that, we seek out donations and sponsorships um, from industry, from academia, from government, uh, and from philanthropists and uh, philanthropic foundations. Got it. And so is there a limit to who can be a member of Nucleate? Is that something that you must be at one of the Nucleate schools? Is there a certain level that 
once you're at a certain place in your career, you can't join or what is it? Tell me about the membership. Great question. You know, Nucleate's an open access organization. So regardless of who you are, or where you are in the stage of your career, there are some ways to get involved. On the leadership team front, uh, you have to have some sort of academic title. That can be pretty loose, um, but those are the ones carrying out the day-to-day -day work, the management team of the organization, so to speak. So grad students and maybe postdocs as well? or Postdocs, masters, undergraduates, JDs, medical students, residents, business students. So once you're a proper professor, you're, you're probably a bit too uh, advanced to be a, a member, but you might be a, a mentor type of Exactly. We see uh, professors as well as industry individuals usually participate in the form of uh, mentorship, participating in workshops as experts, uh, or even serving as advisors to our to our leadership team uh, or the board of directors. Got us as well. Makes sense. So uh, you've been, you were, served, you were president for over five years, I guess, right? What kind of, maybe give me a few lessons that you've picked up along the way from your peers and the experience and just share with the audience what, what you've learned. Absolutely. Um, and before I dig into that, actually, I think one of the things we try to focus on at Nucleate is uh, understanding your own skills and, and your own limitations as well. And so even before all this, I think there were a few things that made me especially well suited to help build this organization. The first being uh, resilience, something that I think is naturally ingrained in me, uh, at the memory of a goldfish when it comes to rejection. And um, that's you salesman. maybe you should have a different yeah. career. Uh, maybe, maybe we're still determining that part. So, but at the same time, you know, I store my rejections like one does trophies and use that as motivation. So, do you hang, do you hang them up on a wall? Uh, or do you... Keep them up on my shoulder. On like shoulder a got if it. you've seen the last dance, you know, I take things personally. Your shoulder does look a little dip. I could see the chip. There we go. And I will prove you wrong. And then uh, competitive spirit, which is ironic because we say as an organization that we collaborate, not compete. But that doesn't mean that I can't compete with myself and, and know that I've tried to do everything that I can to get the best outcomes and enjoy the process and, and throughout. Emotional intelligence, I think, is something that as I've moved around in my life from country to country, city to city, um, I've observed the way that, that people interact, that people act. And I think that's allowed me to uh, be able to lead with um, an ability to really kind of extract the best out of people in the way that they enjoy doing so. Um, and so within that, I think me and you both know that academia um, really only teaches you so much. Academia teaches you how to pull down. Academia, yeah, yep. Um, and while pursuing a PhD is a decision I'd make a hundred times over, I think it's been an incredible experience. It's taught me about uh, critical thinking skills, resilience in the true sense of the word, um, and developing an instinct for science, which is really difficult to develop outside of that. Now the Harvard Biotech Club, Nucleate, um, has really filled a lot of those gaps that you wouldn't naturally be born with or develop in academia, you know, the importance of effective communication and team alignment. Um, the power of collaboration, the significance of trust and mutual respect, the importance of executing with quality, saying what you, you're going to do and doing what you said, the multiplicative effects of delegation and, and empowerment, nuances of emotional intelligence and situational awareness. You know, IQ just isn't sufficient to nope. be a good leader. The compounding value of a growth mindset, the eroding consequences of complacency, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and the last one that I'd mention is the importance of surrounding yourself with smarter people, more experienced people that are going to guide you, push you, challenge your assumptions throughout that process. So I'm one of those light science MBA folk who had two years of fun in business school. I did a one year science degree, which was, you know, 
kind of silly, but very helpful. My question, is this not just an MBA for scientists? Is it truly a boot camp on how to learn, lead, grow if you want to be in the biotech industry such that a scientist doesn't need to get an MBA? It's a great way of, of thinking about it. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of incredible MBAs in our community. And I think the power of the organization comes from its interdisciplinary learning, what the scientists are able to take away from the business students, what the business students can take away from the scientists. We also work with resident physicians. And so it's that intersection of science uh, business and, and the clinic that allows for that growth and to your point does provide some sort of boot camp for you to develop those experiences figure out what you want to do um, after this academic uh, tenure do you think it's encouraged more people in the lab to pursue an industry career and does that in any way hurt academia Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that the organization has a certain gravity and momentum to it. Um, and I saw this even during my time with the Harvard Biotech Club. There's a dramatic shift, I think, happening right now in the industry. Um, and we've known this for a long time. In fact, my very first day as a PhD student during orientation, our program director told us, look, only one in 20 of you are going to become professors. The rest of you better start looking now and figuring out what you want to do. And so I think we've known that this is going to happen for a long, long time. I think now the system is starting to understand the outcomes of this. People don't want to do a postdoc um, outside of their PhD, which means that labs are having a tougher time bringing in postdocs. And so I think this is a healthy correction. Um, it's going to really force the system to evaluate how it values its workforce, its talent, and how uh, it encourages that career development um, in a sustainable, uh, attainable manner. Then the benefits of the biotech industry i think are tremendous we're just seeing a massive flow of talent across all the sectors from entrepreneurship to investing to continued research and in industry so i think overall it's a good thing yeah no that's fair and i think it creates a more practical lens for academia to do something that's not just intellectually interesting but something that's practical that could be translatable and maybe there's a way of incorporating sponsorship or even sponsored research into this so that way they can get more money for the labs if there's a deficit from from other sources absolutely and i mean there's there's so many problems that exist um, in the world as it relates to translatable science we need more funding sources for those at the same time we can't not push forward basic science at the same time uh, because that is the foundation for everything uh, it's something that you know leaders like jennifer doudna have spoken very publicly about, you know, CRISPR for as transformative as, as it now is, wouldn't exist without just answering those basic questions, having that curiosity. And I think that's what uh, a PhD or, or, or academic research really allows you to do. Um, and if that has translatable potential, that, that's fantastic. Certainly there's a huge number of translation focused labs in, in the world. That collaboration intersection between all of those is, is super important, something that needs to continue um, and can't be a casualty to this kind of shift towards industry that we're seeing. That'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I, I think you're right that the, the, the shift is irreversible unless the downturn in biotech lasts materially longer, which we're not going to 
cover now, but uh, that actually ironically might help academia to retain people if it's harder to get jobs in industry, which again is not any of our, our goals. Um, tell me a bit about what you're doing in the church lab. Like what's your what's your thesis on? What do you what research are you doing? Are you starting a company? Can you tell me anything about about that? What's you gotta be doing something, you know, entrepreneurial and just it what whatever you could share, please do. Absolutely. Uh, everyone in the church lab is is always doing something, um, usually more interesting than not. Um, so so the lab, um, first of all, is is quite large. There's about 100 individuals um, in the group um, and it focuses on um, many areas of science from longevity to neuroscience to immunology to protein engineering to computational biology. Um, if it involves the use of DNA read-write technologies, uh, you can bet that somebody in the lab is working on it. So uh, my own project um, is focused on uh, immunological engineering. I'm interested in the process of cell trafficking. So this is the biology by which cells move around the body. And we're particularly interested in understanding the genetic signals and underlying networks that confer tissue specificity. And so using uh, what is known as in vivo functional genomics um, will genetically modify cells in a pooled manner and understand how that genotypic alteration alters that phenotype of a cell to reach a certain tissue with a goal of um, eventually controlling that biological process such that when applied in something like a cell therapy, say for a solid cancer, we can equip the cell with the right signals to more efficiently and specifically get to its target, in this case, penetrate a solid tumor while reducing its off-target biodistribution patterns. So that's been the focus of, of the thesis. Um, we've been quite fortunate to have been supported throughout this journey, both by the VIS Institute, um, as well as our partners over at North Pond Labs, um, who have funded this work with the understanding that there might be some commercial potential around this. And so we're now in, in the process of um, you know, trying to wrap up um, our first manuscript um, and in doing so, um, finish my PhD, uh, become a doctor. Seven years was enough, is that? I, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, and then out of that, um, we're currently exploring the company formation potential around this work. That's very cool. Is there anything you could share publicly about the North Pond Labs relationship and, and how that works? Yeah, it's been a fantastic uh, partnership, not only from uh, a capital point of view, um, of course, it allows you to do research um, in a way that is innovative, that might be very time consuming or challenging to get funding from traditional uh, funding bodies like the NIH or the NSF. Uh, but throughout the process, you also uh, kind of bounce ideas back and forth, help shape uh, the scientific strategy uh, towards something like, say, um, with the goal of building a company. So um, it, it's been great. We meet with them frequently to talk about the state of the science and then what might come next. And from my own point of view and enabling my next step as uh, in my career uh, has given me the opportunity to kind of take that research uh, and think about what it could be as a company. So you're thinking that's your your next role or what? Plan A at the moment. Plan A. Well, it, that's awesome. Very cool. And and obviously, if you need any uh, advice or support, happy to be a, a mentor to you, as we've previously discussed. Always do. What is Nucleate at right now in terms of members, in terms of number of sites? Tell me, give me a little bit more about the actual organization itself and the types of things you guys do. Absolutely. So Nucleate uh, just celebrated um, its fifth year 
in operation. So a little historical context. Uh, for the first three years, we operated solely out of Boston. And then in the midst of the pandemic, we realized that we had an opportunity uh, to become connected, to grow the organization. And so initiated our expansion efforts, uh, convincing students across the country um, that our collective body of work would be more impactful than the individual efforts that we could each undertake. So instead of Boston doing its Boston thing, San Francisco doing its San Francisco thing, and this happening across the country city by city, why don't we unify our efforts? Um, and so that's where we officially spun out of the Harvard Biotech Club to become an incorporated 501c3, expanded to nine cities in our first year, uh, further nine in the second year. Um, and um, now we currently sit at um, operating in about 28 cities um, across uh, not only the United States, um, but also in Europe and South America, in Asia. Um, and we've also evolved in that process. We no longer um, have that single focused goal of helping form new companies. I think throughout this process, we've realized that the power of Nuclate is in its people. Um, and our people want to do a variety of things in the industry. And so with that, we've started to grow out a broader body of educational programs that serve different career needs. Right now, Nuclate operates about 15 educational programs. The Activator, the one that we help start companies, is still the flagship program and our main one. Now entering its sixth year, alumni that have gone through the program um, have now raised upwards of 320 million in seed and Series A financing. Uh, so we think we have a program that works. And now that we've gone through this immense growth stage, we now focus on sustainability, efficiency of operations to ensure that this organization will still be here in 10, 20, 50 years. Which was, I guess, one of your big transitions recently when you stepped down as CEO to become chairman, right? That was a big move, and that's the first step towards longevity. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that that time um, had to come while I would have loved to continue to serve um, forever, I think, for the health of the organization, for my own health and career trajectory. <laughs> Had to enable that transition and i think um, i know that that's a transition that we'll have to make successfully time and time and time again in order to continue the organization so we've been thinking a lot about our sustainability goals our sustainability strategies whether it be uh, growing um, the board of directors whether it be starting to hire a full-time employee base fully defining our internal protocols. We're working on all of those in parallel, while at the same time maintaining the core and the true spirit of the organization, which is trainee-led. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess kind of getting towards the end of the set of questions I had and thinking about what's on everyone's mind who might be listening to this, either if you're in industry or even if you're still in academia or getting your PhD or, or other degree, is the difficulty that the biotech industry has, has had over the last, call it 30 months, really, is when it peaked in February of 21. It really accelerated towards the end of that year, and then 2022, and frankly, this year as well, has been has been challenging. The conventional wisdom is that academia is uh, sheltered from this type of downturn. If you can give me some perspective as to how has this swoon impacted nuclear, how has it impacted your lab, your research? or your thoughts on the future relative to, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, and, and perhaps the only exception to that is when the overlying policy as it relates to the life sciences now starts to affect uh, the acad academic ecosystem. But but we haven't seen that quite yet. Um, so you're right in, in that within the church lab, within the VIS, within um, Harvard, uh, we haven't been as impacted. Um, as we think about nucleate um, and even taking a step back to think about the overall industry, I think um, we all see that what we're experiencing right now is, is a healthy correction um, with some unfortunate casualties um, for sure. But nonetheless, I think this, this downturn has trimmed some necessary fat, which will be healthy for the long term of, of the industry. Now, Nucleate as an organization, um, because it focuses on career development, and when we do think about innovation, think about it at the earliest stages, I think we've been a little less so impacted. Uh, we continue to be successful in our sponsorship sourcing um, efforts. Um, and now as we think about the entrepreneurs uh, that we help serve, um, we're definitely seeing some trends. Uh, it's uh, taking them a little bit longer. I think the bar is a little bit higher uh, from their existing data packages to their promised and stated goals as milestones as a company, um, and they're able to get less cash for lower valuations. And again, I think this is um, a healthy correction uh, and pushes our community to think a little bit deeper um, about what it is uh, that they want to do, but more importantly, what they need to do. Um, and so outside of that, I don't think we've seen huge effects um, in individuals seeking careers in venture capital, business development or industry research, uh, despite the uh, current wave of layoffs that we've been seeing uh, these past few months. Um, but we focus on the people and there will always be a need for brilliant people and innovation uh, to solve the litany of problems that we have across not only human health, but planetary health as well. Interesting. Well, it. Must be nice to be sheltered. Maybe you should, if you haven't already thought of it, I'm sure you have some type of career placement support for your members as they make that transition, especially as it becomes more challenging. Because I, for one, would find it very interesting to work with someone who's been through your curriculum, your your program as a potential employer, but I might not have the connectivity as to how to access them. So just food for thought, but that might be something to consider, especially when the market is not as easy as it might have once been. A fantastic thought and something that I'm sure you've thought we'd of. love to, yeah. to continue to work with the industry and formalize a lot of our programs to say in internships or career placement type activities. Cool. I and Locust Walk believe that dislocations are really a great way to spot opportunity. So what do you think are the opportunities that are revealing themselves to you through this struggle and through the, the downturn? Yeah, I think I'll point to, to two key ones. Um, the first is, I think, an opportunity for consolidation of resources and innovation. Um, the potential power of working together versus um, individually. So, for example, if two entrepreneurs, um, aspiring entrepreneurs, are working on synergistic technologies why not consider starting a company together versus individually? So I think that's one um, that I think is very interesting. Obviously, you see the top venture firms thinking along these lines. Uh, so why can't we as aspiring entrepreneurs also start to think in, in the same way? 
Um, and then the second, I think the opportunity for nuclear, more broadly speaking, um, is one that we're not going away. Um, we speak for a significant group of people who in 5, 10, 20 years. Uh, How big is the membership for, uh, right now? We have about six to 700 active leaders wow. and probably now um, a broader alumni base in the thousands. And if you start to count our mentors, advisors and experts, that number grows quite That's awesome. bigger. And Very so cool. within all of that, you know, um, we want to see it at the table with the big dogs, so to speak. Uh, we want to be able to help shape the future of the life sciences industry, and we think we have something that is worth saying. Well, that's awesome. For from my perspective, at least, these opportunities were not available when when I was in grad school, and I was involved in uh, the biotech club at the grad school that I was at. So I, I I know the the power of that, but connecting everyone and and making it a proper entity and curriculum is. Definitely the next level. So kudos to you for for having the vision and, and the ability to execute against that. So that's that's awesome. Thank you. To wrap up a great conversation, do you believe there is a biggest issue currently facing the industry or potentially impacting nuclear? It's a great question, and it's one that I'd like my own peers and community to think a lot more about. But I think my answer is policy especially as it relates to three key areas. Um, the first is a policy that stimulates and promotes innovation um, so that we can continue to push forward innovative solutions um, to the big problems that we face. Um, the second one, certainly one that I didn't think about in my years, something that mentors like Peter Kolchinsky have, have pushed me to think about is access. So once we push innovation forward, how do we ensure broader access and how do we ensure that our laws um, help promote that so that it is equitable uh, and fair for all? And we won't dig into the specifics exactly of, of pricing and access right now, but I think it's a big problem that, that we need to overcome. It's one that my own generation, I think, doesn't think really affects them. Much, uh, but it does. And for those interested in learning more, uh, next month we're organizing a fireside chat with Peter Fulchinski to talk about drug pricing and access. Uh, and then the third, which I think is is personal to me as, as someone who recently became uh, an American citizen. Good. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I, I felt American my whole life, so I think it's, it's only fitting now that I also have the passport. Uh, this relates to, to immigration. I think we have to do more to ensure that the brilliant people who come to this country and contribute uh, to various aspects of the countries have the opportunity to stay here long term. We need to retain our talent, and I think um, that's really important important thing for me. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. To end on an optimistic note, what are you excited about, whether it's a project or within Nucleate or just your own future? Yeah, always love ending on, on a high note. And um, for this last one, uh, I'd actually like to quote um, one of my mentors, one of our uh, members of our board, uh, John Maragnore, uh, from an intro he made to uh, a high profile uh, biotech leader. And, and he says, um, as you know, I'm making a strong commitment to help advance and develop the next generation of biotech leaders. Uh, indeed, the number one limiting factor for our mission of bringing transformative medicines to patients is not science or capital, but people. 
So as we think about what John is, is saying here, and as we think about what Nucleate does for the industry and, and for the world, we focus on the development of people. And I think the energy, the passion, the curiosity uh, that this current generation is bringing to the industry we all admire and love is incredibly exciting to think about uh, and gives me a high degree of confidence that uh, we are in good shape um, and we will be left in good hands. That's awesome. Great quote. and. Love the optimism. Sufian, thank you. Really appreciate you coming in. It's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed learning all about Nucleate, about you, your thoughts, and this has been a pleasure. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Biotalk. We look forward to welcoming you to our next episode where we'll continue discussing areas of current interest in biotech. Please share with all of your friends and colleagues so we can grow the audience. This is Jeff Meyerson for Biotalk, signing off.